Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. We are here with my friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. Also have our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. And for this episode, we are back to Zoom uh, because it is a bit of an impromptu episode. Uh, full disclosure, last week we recorded um, a full episode of the show. Uh, it took us a bit to get out. And in the interim, uh, the NBA uh, boycotted games, um, you know, for social justice after the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, and also Chadwick Boseman died uh, tragically. Uh, very, very, very sad. Such an incredibly sad story. Uh, but because those things happened between when we did our, our recording and then putting out the episode, it just felt weird to... Uh, to put that out. But because there's lots of good stuff in that episode that is a bit evergreen and timeless, um, we're going to release that as a bonus pod. So we're going to give you this episode today where we talk about a bunch of things. Uh, and then later in the week, you're going to get sort of a, a, a condensed version of the episode that we recorded uh, before all the events of last week. So that being said, fellas, how's it going? I hate that we're not in the backyard, but we're doing this because we're, again, we sort of decided to do this yesterday and it, it's harder to get together uh, last minute. I mean, you guys have real jobs too. Mm-hmm. So, and it's what what time is it? It's 10 a.m. <laughs> on a Monday morning. So, thank you guys for sneaking out. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little sleepy today. Lou had a, a night terror last night, so I, I'm that's why I'm in a house mm. robe. I'm trying to stay kind of in sleepy mode. So, I'm gonna try to take a nap at some point in the day, which I never do. But I I got maybe two hours. Sleep. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say at some point in the in the podcast <laughs> no. you were gonna try, like, I'm gonna no, try and take a nap try at some point in this also. episode. Yeah, before we sort of get to events too, Max, big weekend. Congrats. You did the uh, you had a big Budweiser stage show that aired on national television here in Canada. Yeah, we always like to have a bit of a one-two punch when we put out anything. And it was exciting to release Campfire Chords and we got to perform uh, with the hockey season kicking off uh, on national television, which felt like a big win for us. But the second thing we had in our back pocket was... Um, this campfire court special that actually uh, shout out to our friend Adam Birchall, uh and your brother Greg Veerman who are both a part of the behind the scenes stuff to, uh, to make it all work um, but it was funny we um, we spent a lot of the late July into August prepping for this shoot it was it was uh, filmed at our buddy Bees's off the grid farm and we did a full day shoot we, we were around uh, a campfire and in a meadow and at, uh, outside of a yurt and um, it was, uh, yeah, it was really fun to make and actually play with each other. We've been saying no to basically every idea that we don't like right now as it pertains to the music industry, specifically drive-in shows, because we're really trying not to play in front of a bunch of cars in a parking lot. Also, like, Zoom calls where, like, the band is in, like, five different screens and we're all performing together. We're trying not to do that. Uh, but this felt really good because... It was going to be an hour of national television, uh, totally on our own terms, and we and we got to use our crew. So huge shout out to Corey and his and his team for filming it. And uh, yeah, it felt like kind of a collective moment. Did you guys tune in? Uh, no, I did not. <laughs> I wish I had a good excuse, but I, I didn't even know when it was on. I kind of found out after the fact, or I, I don't even know. I was seeing it on, following it along on Instagram. Well, that's that's how you find out when it is. You you follow our Instagram, and we post about it about a thousand times. I felt like it was already up though when I when I saw oh, it. Okay, I'm not super proactive on Instagram or like good with <laughs> dates and stuff. It needs to be shoved down my throat. <laughs> that's what we but were it looked tr- good. I saw- you know, it's funny. That's what we were trying to do is <laughs> shove it down people's throats. 
Like the amount of time, we, I think a lot of people that follow us were exhausted by the amount of posts that we had about this show. Only because we need to remind people like you and clearly it didn't even work on you. Well, I find all my friends are out of my algorithm. Sometimes I'll be like, is Sean Dawson okay? I'm like, I haven't seen him. And then I'll have to search out Sean. Sometimes I'll have to search out Ar- Arkell. Sometimes I'll look up Mike. I'll be like, I haven't liked his last three posts. And then I'll have to go back and like midnight tap them. So that that's, it was a case of me kind of learning about it seemingly after it aired because I was following a story of, of a wedding that was watching it. And I was like, oh, I want to see this. But it seemed like it had already happened. I, I think that yeah. uh, it, it helps the story that Shane missed your show, that he's also in a house robe right now. Like, it just seems like he's sort of just floating through his days effortlessly, not on no timeline. Uh, when you have two kids, things are, time is different. Time so, does move different. Mm, yeah, so um, you have a better get out of jail free card type of excuse. Max doesn't seem convinced. He, he seems uh, still a little bit. Well, he doesn't uh, know yet. Means. In like 20 years when he has a kid, he might know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I caught 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 a bunch of it, Max, uh, between that and some hoops. And um, Danica watched the whole thing and she loved it. Ooh. She literally was going on mm. about how amazing it was. Like basically she was like, it was just nice to hang out on that farm. She like said that she had a real sense of like, it was just really beautiful to look at as well as the songs and all that. So you had a big uh, a big win with her. I was going to say, Danica, like, uh, doesn't um, pull any punches. She's, like, a real critic. And I know oh, you yeah. respect her opinion, as do I. So that, that's that's high praise. But it's not like a live show, right? So you can just send me the link. I can still watch it. <laughs> like it's Yeah. I mean, I'll send you the Dropbox link. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do that. Because I, I do want to see it. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One kind of funny realization Ash and I had yesterday after all was said and done was for the last two summers, like, so 2019 and 2018, the last uh, two weeks of August are always kind of painful for us because nobody in the music industry lifts a fucking finger. Everyone's so fucking lazy and on vacation. And so we're out on our walks scheming, thinking about the next thing we want to do. And no one is responding to our emails and we get really angry about it. And But this year, uh, the last two weeks of August were some of our busiest times of the whole year because we were preparing for this special. And so we were saying like if 2019 us could tell the future us that, hey, 2020, I got some good news and some bad news. The good news is the last two months of August are actually going to be the busiest months of the year. I'd be like, amazing. What's the bad news? The bad news is you're not doing anything else for the whole year. <laughs> yeah. And and um, so, you know, we'll, we'll take the wins where we can get them. But yeah, it was, it was very fun uh, to... to to work on the show. And it really did feel like a family affair because we got to work with our producing crew, your brother, uh, shout out to the nut. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome. And of course, Ashley did 96% of the work. So it was good. And the pressure is kind of all off because it's pre-recorded. So you get the excitement of a show without the nervousness of something could go wrong because you know, it's great, right? Yeah, of course you can uh, just uh, do another take if you screw up. It's good. So, guys, uh, the reason that we are recording sort of this impromptu to pod is because a lot went on uh, over the last sort of week. Um, let's start with uh, the NBA. The Milwaukee Bucks um, boycotted their playoff game with the Orlando Magic. They they didn't come out of the locker room, and nobody sort of knew what was going on. It, it seems like they didn't have it planned. It was just a very visceral reaction uh, to the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha. Um, which is obviously the st- same state that the Milwaukee Bucks play in. Um, so that that had sort of this cascading effect where, all, you know, the other NBA teams canceled their games. Then um, 
you saw in the MLB in baseball, they canceled a bunch of games. The NHL eventually sort of canceled games. So it kind of like brought the sports world to a grinding halt and showed sort of the power of of protest or strike or sort of like a collective action. Um, but there was like a precarious sort of like 24 hours there where people thought maybe the NBA season was done. Uh, yeah. What did you guys think when that started going down? Were you guys watching live as it sort of happened? Because I, I was watching, like I had the game on and or I was about to watch it and the jump, which is the basketball show with Rachel Nichols that airs before it. She sort of announced on air like to Zach Lowe and Kendrick Perkins, like that the Bucks weren't coming out of their locker room. So it was like, I kind of was like in real time being like, oh my goodness. And then we had to go get win from daycare. So I was like, kind of like, I put it on the five on my phone. And I just sort of was following the story. It was it was pretty wild. Well, what about you guys? Shane, where were you when you, when you heard? I had heard uh, rumblings of it the day before. I guess I think Fred was talking about it and maybe Norm had mentioned it. And I thought, no, oh, this is definitely going to happen. Because once it starts percolating after a day, the team's going to want to make a statement. And I figured, yeah, they'll probably boycott a game or two and come back because they don't want to be punished for something that, you know, m- maybe they didn't do like Draymond Green did a post that you kind of shared where it's like, why should the NBA uh, take it off and uh, forego all their earnings when like they should be the last people punished for this racism. And I think the statement of boycotting one or two games really was effective and it wasn't really necessary to prolong it any further than that. Yeah. You know, I actually thought um, it was, Interesting because it was more chaotic than anything ever is when it comes to professional sports. You know, even though the the league is flying by the seat of its pants a little bit in the bubble and like everything is sort of precarious in 2020, the fact that um, the other team didn't know they were going to do it, I thought that was shocking. And then you hear reports later that LeBron was really pissed off kind of at the Milwaukee Bucks for saying, guys, we're supposed to be unified in this effort together and you didn't tell anybody. And and I thought that was really interesting and I kind of loved it because there's not that many moments of spontaneity, especially when it comes to like large, large, like business culture or corporate culture, which the NBA is to a certain degree. Um, And I like that it was sort of like a renegade strike where it's just like, okay, we're not, you know what, like we're just not going to go out and we're not going to tell anybody and we're going to figure it out as we go. And this isn't going to be because I find sometimes when it comes to protest, especially when it comes to big business, it's, it feels a little too calcu- calculated or just a little too like um, it's kind of sterile sometimes when it comes to these these moments of, of protest. And, um, and and like and I love that the players like to have been taking a knee for the national anthem. Um, but that obviously wasn't a spontaneous thing. That was like a decided you know, days before this is what we're going to do. But I, I, yeah, I just really appreciate the Milwaukee Bucks said, like, we just can't go out in good conscience. And, and I couldn't tell you that that's how I was going to feel 10 minutes before the game started, but that's how I feel right now. And that's what we're going to do. Yeah. It's, it's much better uh, being spontaneous because otherwise they would just call it, it, the games were postponed and they started doing that like two hours into it. They started saying, Oh, the games are postponed to try to do like some PR mm. For it, And then LeBron was like, not postponed, boycotted to clarify that. So I think the shock element really helped make it more of a sensational story, which uh, got more traction. What were your thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, I thought I thought I thought it was it was really powerful. And it felt like you guys said, like this sort of genuine sort of in the moment. uh, It's like because guys were warming up. Like, I think a lot of the guys on the Bucks thought they were playing. And then it's like they got in the locker room before they came out. And I guess guys started being like 
talking about it. Because like you said, Shane, the Raptors and the Celtics the day before in their media availabilities were talking about doing something for their Thursday game. Um, and so like I, I, a lot of things, like one, the fact that it was the Bucks, the fact that they were the first game of the day, uh, the fact that, you know, they play in that state where the incident took place. Uh, yeah. And it just felt very sort of like, um, yeah, like a, like an authentic visceral reaction to something that these guys that really sort of like, you know, touches these guys and something that they're passionate about. And to your guys point, I think it was incredibly effective. They basically stopped sports across like the spectrum in North America for like 48 hours, you know, and that's like, that's a lot of power. And that sort of, it does show, you know, because there's this whole like argument like it's like, well, you know, like where does the power lie? Is it in the owners? Well, they pay the salaries, you know, but without the players, the owners can't earn the money, you know, because the, the, the players are the unique talent that generate the revenue and all that stuff. And it was just a very fascinating sort of like exercise in the players willing to potentially give up something, you know, like their their pay or whatever it is uh, that they'd be giving up legacy. Like if they canceled the, the playoffs, you know, like that means a lot to some guys like like they're playing legacy. It means Braun doesn't get to go for another championship. Like there was just so many things that could have sort of come out of it that would have uh, hurt them. Like you said, Shane, in that dream on uh, green post on Twitter uh, that it just yeah, it, it was really sort of like eye opening and very powerful. And uh yeah, I think it's good to have those sorts of things. And ultimately, I think the players needed to do it for themselves, for their for their their mental health, for like their convictions. Like they needed to do something and they couldn't just go back to, oh, playoff game today. You know what I mean? They had to sort of like stop everything, make their stance clear, get real change happening. Like they're starting to open, you know, voting places in all these arenas in different American cities. Um, and sort of actions that 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 can be. Actually, speaking of that, did you read Max that LeBron called up? Uh, Barack Obama. No. Yeah. What did so, he say? so in the in the midst of like when everything was very precarious and it's like, are they are they going to leave the bubble? Are they shutting down the season? Mm. I guess LeBron and a couple other players got on a call with with Barack Obama and asked them like, what's what are the, what what's the best way to go about this? And Obama was like, basically, like you need to, to come up with actionable change, like like define mm -hmm. what it is that you want, and then set those those parameters, and basically sort of walked them through uh, uh, how to sort of deal with what they can say when they talk to the owners about what they're sort of asking for. They're, yeah, and then like Obama tweeted or he released a statement, basically saying like you know yeah they called, but it's putting all the praise back on the players for sort of taking the mm, action. That's yeah, that's actually so great because these players do have every smart person at their disposal. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And I feel like uh, it's probably actually an underutilized thing. If I was LeBron, I'd be calling Barack like once a week being like, yo, well, give me give me some thoughts. Because as somebody who uses other people's expertise all the time, I feel like uh, the NBA players could, you know, they have the reach there just to be able to, uh, it's one phone call away to talk to anybody who's, you know, been leadership, been in leadership positions before, you know, a couple of things. I, I love they did this because history always smiles on these moments. Like no, there's no moments like when it comes to like standing up for social change where people go, nah, that was a bit of an overreach, you know, nah, why do, you know, Jesse Owens, why, why'd you, why'd you put you, you know, you know, why John Carlos, uh, who are the guys, um, who put up, uh, the black power fist in the 1968 Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like those are iconic moments. Because it is the right thing to do. I, I, I can't really think of any example. Muhammad Ali, was, Muhammad Ali not going to fight in Vietnam. You know what I mean? And he yeah. loses like basically the prime of his boxing career. You know, like it's like. But he is revered. He is known as Muhammad, Muhammad Ali for that reason, right? Because he, because he stood up for what was right. Um, I really love that. I also think that um, I wonder, it's like when you, when you look back on, you know, the Clippers Golden State series when the uh, Donald Sterling accusations came out. And for those who don't remember or don't know, Donald Sterling was the owner of the Los Angeles Clippers. 
tapes came out revealing that he said the n-word and other racist things uh while he was owning a team mostly of black people and and even by the way even the term own, owning a team of black people just feels weird to say uh but he's the owner of the los angeles clippers and the nba forced him to sell the team and there was a decision to be made because it was the beginning of the playoffs should the clippers boycott the game and they didn't they um and of course, that was their own decision and, and they're grown men and smart guys in their own right. But looking back, I wonder how many of them go, ah, we should have just not played. And I, and I wonder, um, you know, if this is going to be going to become more of a regular occurrence when it comes to professional sports, because I do think there is real ways to make change. As you said, Mike, that all the NBA arenas are now being used as voting uh, locations i think with the exception of okc because they don't have the rights to do it in that arena for some reason yeah i think they have to but, own the arena like any any arena that yeah. the nba team owns they can implement those uh those changes and i think the clippers they they turn their shirts inside out or something they did make a statement they did but it that's how it feels kind of soft now now it does to, yeah but i think too if, if other teams start boycotting in the future it's going to seem way less impactful it's the first time you do yeah. something. It's really that historic time. So at the time, L.A. doing that thing where they turned their jerseys inside out or whatever they did, their warm-up shirts, I think that was kind of impactful at the time. Now it doesn't seem that way. Sure. I mean, I think at the time there's some people that were like, ah, eh, you could have boycotted the game. But anyway. Of course that's they, they were, yeah. but I'm just saying it was still impactful what they did. Sure. So, sure. so nowadays, like if... if all the teams just turned their shirts inside out or did something where they sat out a quarter, it wouldn't have the same impact that you have to keep anteing up with every new protest to really make an impact. Mm -hmm. um, I think that LeBron and Chris Paul and all these guys are incredible leaders and, and the way they're speaking on social change is really necessary. And, and they're just great role models for all of us. Uh, the next thing I'd like to see them do, and I'd be really curious to know uh, how they go about this. You know, Mike, you mentioned actionable change. What is the thing that's actually going to happen here? Uh, you, they have access to power. They're obviously very wealthy people, and uh, they have a lot of sway in the culture. But the people, the, the, the shareholders in all these organizations are the... 0.000001% elite that are one phone call away probably from every state senator, every governor, from the president of the United States to the titans of business all around the world. And I would love to see players really dig in. I know it's, and it's an uncomfortable thing because it's like, this is, you know, you'd be standing up to your boss to, and that's the person who pays the bills. But like, doesn't the Davos family um, hmm. in Or DeVos? They uh, own the Orlando Magic, yeah. Yeah, and she is a, a tr and her family are Republicans, right? She's uh, the Secretary of Education, very controversial one as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they've had they've had other social issues too, the DeVos family, because they're very religious as well. So there's certain LGBTQ issues with that family and their outlook. Uh, I would just be really interested to see, like, you know, if who who's who's the star of the Orlando Magic? I can't even think. Aaron Gordon. <laughs> okay, if, if Aaron Gordon says, "Hey, listen." Like, I'm not going to sign here, you know, I'm going to go somewhere else if you're, if I see you donating money to the, to, to Donald Trump. Like, I, I, I don't know, like, if that's a, if that's fair, it feels fair to me, but I'd be interested to know how many of these players start going, you know, I'm actually shocked and dismayed. We did some digging here and our ownership group has donated, you know, this amount of money to the NRA or whatever it yeah. is. Um, and because I think that's where they can really begin to make change because because they are they are rubbing shoulders with people that have a lot of, of of money and influence when it comes to politics 
And the MBA is one of the most popular products in America on a cultural level. And, and, and again, and this doesn't have to be a combative thing. It's just be like a matter of fact, like I can't, I don't want to shop here. If this is the person, if this person is anti LGBTQ, or it would be the same thing It's like, I don't want to work here. If my owner, you know, is, is exhibiting these practices that I fundamentally disagree with on a human rights level. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it, it always comes yeah. down to this too, though. Within any group, there's certain people that have more power. LeBron can decide to go wherever he wants, you know, but if you're like, uh, you know, a mid-level player, it's like, you'll just play anywhere. You know, it's, it's easier to make those demands if you're, if you're like sort of your value is so undeniable, but if you're sort of like a mid or lower rank player, it's a lot, yeah. even though to us, we're like, oh, that guy's still making $3 million a year. It's like, it's like that same thing where it's like, oh, that guy's being, you know, problematic or he's being difficult. Whereas if somebody that's like undeniably talented, like a, a LeBron James, like an irreplaceable player, that's those, those are the guys, like the leaders that can actually flex and, and sort of make those choices for themselves, you know? Yeah. If like every superstar kind of said, oh, I'm not going to play in Orlando, that would really matter because they Absolutely. wouldn't be able to have a winning team because you need at least two or three now to ha have a winning team. Yeah, it's totally true that like the power lies with with the stars because it, didn't did you tell me Mike or that basically like the whole league was like if LeBron's in we're in if LeBron's out we're out <laughs> yeah <laughs> pretty much I mean that's yeah. the other thing too is like when there was a report before they decided to resume the playoffs that LeBron and the Lakers and Kawhi and the Clippers basically voted to not continue the season and they walked out of the meeting you know so that was like a huge report that came out that night before I went to bed. And then the next morning by like 11, I guess they cooled off a bit uh, and, and calmed down. But a lot of the pundits were like, well, shit, if LeBron and Kawhi are out and the two LA teams are going home, like this thing's over. You know, we're not continuing with the, the other teams. Like those are like, those are the two most famous teams in the bubble right now. You know, the other thing uh, which makes the NBA unique uh, and which I think gives it a lot of strength uh, in this kind of movement is that the NFL, it feels like 90% of the roster is replaceable. It's just like they can kind of carry on. Guys get injured so quickly. Their careers are so short in professional football that if a couple of people made a stand and said, I don't want to play, they'd be like, okay, we'll just get somebody else to do it. Not like, only that, uh, but, but they, they have unguaranteed contracts. So if, mm -hmm. a play, if a player gets injured and he's got like a three-year deal, they just cut him and they don't have to pay the other two years. Like NBA players' deals are guaranteed. So they would absolutely, and the culture of the NFL really has defined lines between owner and player. And, and sort of, I feel like if the players, uh, you know, tried to unify, unless it was like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers got together and were like, yo, we're, we're doing this, they would basically just replace the whole teams, you know, and not think twice about it. Yeah, and the quarterback's considered the most important player, and 70% of the quarterbacks are white. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you think that um, what the NBA is doing is going to inspire like the NHL or Major League Baseball uh, and their athletes to be more socially conscious and to take stands more often? Um, or do you think this is just going to stick to basketball? No, it has. I think it has. Like the fact that like NHL players, because the league, the NHL didn't shut down their games. They actually were like, we'll take a moment of silence or something. And then their players collectively got together and were like, yo, like, no, we're sitting out some games. And then the league finally, like two days later, shut shut down for a night, I think. I'm not 100% I'm not sure. But that is like young progressive players, you know, in a league that is largely white. Uh, and maybe, you know, the other thing too is we always discount like, because you have a Muhammad Ali or LeBron James who are socially conscious, for the most part, these are guys in their early 20s, like that don't like, it's not that they don't care, but they just don't want to think about it. Like, what did you think? I mean, I mean, you know, I think we all sort of think about these things just because of the way our personalities are. So like, 
although we maybe thought about them when in our early 20s, I certainly didn't think about it a lot. And if I was a professional athlete that basically spent my whole life either putting a puck in a net or a ball in a net or whatever it is, it's like it's hard to then flip a switch and like educate yourself, have an opinion, be able to express that opinion in a way that you feel comfortable doing. Like it's just a lot to ask. So I think it's pretty impressive that, you know, over the course of, you know, basically since George Floyd, everybody has has thought about this it's ever present and like athletes these guys in the early 20s who normally aren't thinking about anything other than being good at their sport and you know playing video games are now all like becoming sort of like mild activists so i do think that the nba is like sort of like inspired the question is does Mm -hmm. it continue uh, over the long haul well i think a lot of the players too have thought about it over the course of their lives because they've been forced to think about it right when they were growing up and i think that was a huge motivating force to make it was to get out of the places they were from I was talking more about the white hockey players, right? Right. right Max yes. was saying if it's going to the other, uh, the other thing, like, you know, they're sort of like typical white North American experience in the suburbs playing hockey. You know, you poor people don't play hockey. It's an expensive sport. You know what I mean? So it's well, like, they've probably experienced it or been a part of it the, on the, the other side of the fence. You absolutely. Know? Yeah. And that's the thing. And so it's like getting them thinking about those things and all of us thinking about those things, our unconscious biases, things that we say that make anybody feel uncomfortable. I mean, everybody's just so much more consciously trying to be aware now whereas in the past people just kind of like were kind of ignorantly going through through life you know not even in like a way that was like uh intentionally negative it's just you don't know what you don't know and now it's like we all are very 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 aware any other thoughts on the uh the nba shutting down fellas Uh, i was just wondering how you felt about it coming back like were you like yes or were you like oh i wish they would have made that like supreme statement it's so funny you asked that. My brother actually asked me that uh, this weekend too. So it was like when they made the, the when, when the Bucks didn't come out of the locker room and then I'm like, I got that feeling like that sort of like, I was very like um, fired up and, and sort of engaged. I was like, this is awesome that they're, they're taking the stand. But then my, my brain started playing the chess with it and I started going, oh man, I like, I'm like, what's the next step? There's this step, there's this step. I'm like, shit, like this might be it. Like this, this season might be done and, and basketball will go away. And so then I had this conflicting feeling where I'm like, you know, I love that they're taking this stand, but then I'm like, oh, but basketball is going to be gone. And it's like become this thing that I was saying, like, since the pandemic started, we don't have things to look forward to anymore. Like we don't have like little markers like, uh, like, oh, we're going to go to Mexico in February or, oh, Max is having a birthday party. Or, you know, you just have little things that were always like once or twice a month that you kind of like just look forward to. They get you through a day. And I, I don't think I realized, like I love the basketball was back, but I don't think I realized how much I was looking forward to the, the game of the night that I was going to watch or something. So it became like this little marker that I had. And when they were going to like, I thought maybe potentially shut down the season and we might not have basketball for another year, depending on how the, the bargaining agreement goes. I just, I got immensely depressed because I was like, like, why is this hitting me so hard? I'm like, oh, it's because like all those things, I was looking forward to the Raptors playing Thursday night and then Saturday. And like, I had all my little like, like plans that get you excited and they were gone. And then I was like, one, this isn't about you, Mikey. Two, uh, it's like, this is the point. Like the, the reason they're, they're doing it is because the, it is this big like pacifier. It's this giant distraction. And it's like, the more you're sort of, you have these little entertaining things and then I can go back to like my life. It's like, you know, for, for you know, black people and, and social injustice, it's like, it's this ever present thing that they're always dealing with. And it's like th- their fear is like, well, we're going to start playing games again and everyone's going to get distracted and stop thinking about the stuff that really matters, you know? And it's, it's finding the line between how can you feel comfortable sort of like with your creature, you know, your comforts and th- what, what is entertainment. And then also it's like, is it at the expense of like these guys, like in their mental health? And I know they're making a lot of money and all that, but I'm like, 
I just was like, the whole thing just made me really like, I felt guilty for being like sad that it was over, but also I was excited that they were, they were making the stand. So it was a huge mashup of emotions, but ultimately I was very depressed uh, when I thought it was going to go away. And like, you know, I use that, that word very flippantly right now, but like I was, I was like in a funk and Danica's like, man, like you're really like kind of taking this hard. I'm like, well, it's like, it became this thing that I was going to have until October. And then, so when Woj tweeted that the players have agreed to continue the playoffs, I, I, I definitely like, I, I fist like I went, yes. Like I actually mm-hmm. audibly said that as I saw the tweet come up on my phone. But yeah, so it was the whole confluence of emotions that I felt. What about you, Shaney? Well, after you sent the Draymond Green post where he was, because there was someone commented on his Instagram account and it said, basketball can wait. And Draymond basically clapped back and he's like, why can basketball wait? Why can you do your job? But why do we have to not work and make money and provide for our families? And it's like, uh, why are we disposable? And basically your, your job isn't your job's important, but mine isn't anyway, that really helped me reconcile my feelings of excitement when it came back. Like I still would have felt all the, the, the excitement, but I would have felt more guilt about being excited. You know what I mean? Emotions are hard to control. Even if you intellectually know how to, you're supposed to process them, but I, I definitely was excited and I didn't realize how important these basketball playoffs actually were in my life. Like I got Luca sanity or whatever you call it. Like, <laughs> like when yeah. Luca hit that shot, I've never been more into the NBA. Maybe when Kawhi hit that big four bounce rim shot, like, you know, so I was really into that Dallas series. I was super into the Portland series. And, uh, like you said, I was, when, when they took the thing you love away, it really made the statement so powerful. And then when it came back, it really made you appreciate it all the more. And I, I was excited. What about you, Max? Yeah, I don't um, think everything in life can be a win-win, especially when you're marching for social justice. But I will say that I think this is actually a real opportunity to have a win-win here. It it gives like entertainment to to basketball fans around the world. But also, look what happened last night. Jamal Murray, Canadian, scores 50 points. (laughs) That was amazing. And and, and he's on his shoes. He's wearing, uh, you know, uh, drawings of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. In the post-game interview, he says, I wear these as a symbol for, you know, social injustice everywhere. He's crying. He, like, he, he put that, that conversation right back to the, the top of my Twitter feed. He, right back to the top of my mind. And I think if the NBA goes away and these players are just sort of, you know, on social media and sort of participating in the conversation, but you know, only sort of online, it's not as effective. I think the players have an opportunity, especially if they get inventive about it, to make it a conversation every single day. And as you said, like every time Fred Van Fleet or Norm or any of these guys do a press conference, like on an off day, and they're talking about these issues, they it, it, it hits me every single time. And it's because I look up to these guys and because I love the Toronto Raptors and I love the NBA. And I think it's actually... Like the next month and a half or two months are, is going to be really interesting to see how uh, these guys keep this conversation going because they they do have an opportunity to to really stir the pot in an effective way, much more so, I'd argue, than if they all went home. I think I think their opportunity for creating change and and pushing the owners to do the right thing and getting NBA fans and other uh, professional sports a- athletes uh, to do the right thing much more if they just went home because i think if they go home the nhl guys can kind of go back to their business and not be thinking about this but i think every time the the nba guys kick up a storm it forces it really 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 forces the nhl guys to go oh fuck okay i do look i love russell westbrook okay what's he talking about now okay 
Okay, I guess I got to take this seriously. Because I know Austin Matthews loves Russell Westbrook. He tries to dress like him. He loves his personal <laughs> flair and his style. Wait, and is I this love a to joke? Does he Matt- really? He does. He does. He's talked about this. Oh, I didn't like, know that. And Nathan McKinnon on the star on the Avalanche. He loves hip hop. He he sings along to every word. And I'd love to see both those guys actually say something that, uh, of political consequence. Yeah, it's that whole like, you know, you're influenced by the culture, you know, it's mm-hmm. like st- stick up for it or say something for it. You know, you can't take all the goods with without and then just sort of ignore the more uncomfortable aspects of it. OK, well, speaking, I mean, this is, you know, that kind of leads us to uh, another like incredibly sad story. Uh, and that's the passing of Chadwick Boseman, um, you know, and it's just like, yeah, it's uh, we'll sort of like. Uh, I guess talk about how we feel about it and how we heard, but I guess first I'd want to, I was actually sitting, um, I was on my couch and I was watching, uh, Bill and Ted face the music. I'd rented it. Cause I was like, eh, I'll watch Bill and Ted. I used to, you know, and like, is that a 20, good movie? I got like 30 minutes in and then the news started breaking on Twitter, you know? And at that point I was like, I couldn't just put my phone down and go back to Bill and Ted. So I, I stopped the movie and I was just kind of like in shock and I was just sort of like scrolling and then people were posting like videos of him. I'm sure you guys saw the the one where he was surprising people on Fallon when Black mm-hmm. Panther first came out. Uh, speeches he made during award season, like really inspirational stuff. So I was just sort of like very, very like sort of sad about the whole thing. And as I was watching these clips that people were posting to Twitter, I was just getting very emotional. And so I was just like, I was just like, yeah, I was just really, really sort of like bummed out and mostly for the impact that he, he made on people and sort of what he represented and what Black Panther meant. I was just like, like what, what a, a terrible year for sort of like, you know, black culture and sort of like feeling good about yourself and all that stuff, you know, to lose Kobe and then to lose Chadwick. Uh, it was all very, very shocking and just like a lot. And you're just kind of watching it and you're contextualizing it. And then you're thinking about the person and, you know, anyway, so that was my thought. Where were you guys when you sort of heard, uh, Maxi, you want to start? Yeah. Um, I I don't know where I was, but I was like you know was on in the evening on my phone, <laughs> and um, you know it's funny I I obviously know Chadwick Boseman, but I, I didn't really monitor his career that closely for what I, I know he was Black Panther, but in my mind those were sort of like an ensemble cast, and I saw the movie and I liked it. Uh, I never saw Forty Two, so I don't think I fully understood the gravity of the situation until you started seeing the outpouring, like every single person, every celebrity that I follow on social media was posting about him. And then you kind of go down the rabbit hole and you hear these like personal anecdotes of, of what the kind of guy he was. Um, I find it though kind of hard when, when a celebrity passes and it's just kind of, you have to be in a particular mind state, I think, to, mm-hmm. to start reading all those beautiful eulogies um i know ryan coogler wrote something really nice and josh gad had a story about him and then you find out that um denzel washington helped pay for his uh, schooling did you hear that i did um he anonymously paid so, for it but yeah out. so yeah uh, <laughs> and he yeah so so i think i've gotten actually a lot more sad about it um in the last couple, like but when did he pass what what day was friday it? night was yeah it? Was it friday so and today is monday i think in the last 24 hours i was i really it really started to hit me more uh and of course i think what makes this one interesting or at least unique is that it's always sad when a celebrity passes but the the, the kind of passing is very different and i can't mm-hmm. recall a time where it was somebody that was this young 
passed away suddenly, but of a disease that he'd had for a long time. Is there yeah. any other examples like this? Like, that's why it really hits in it. And then you think about like, oh my goodness, it's like, you know, he was working on all these movies while he was very sick with colon cancer. And I thought like, how many people knew about this? And I guess Kugler didn't even know, mm -hmm. like he, he kept it such a secret, which is such a unique way to live through cancer because and, and, I, and I and I respect anybody who goes through it, uh, who has to go through a type of illness like that. Um, I respect any way you, you process it. But the fact that he didn't want to make it a part of his personal narrative, he didn't want to make it a part of his day-to-day -day conversations, and he just wanted to keep it about the work, uh, I thought it was really interesting. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a lot to take in because it's it's a lot different than most other celebrity deaths, which is like, yeah. you know, sometimes a helicopter accident in the case of Kobe or a car accident or a drug <laughs> overdose. Uh, but this is on, in its own category completely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's weird. I got the information kind of in the same way I got Kobe's information, uh, where it was obviously I was not expecting Kobe to die at all. And then boom, Kobe's gone. And obviously cancer sucks and fought cancer and all that. But one of the things that's actually uh, helpful with cancer in terms of helping your uh, loved ones cope is the fact that you can see the death coming. You have time to mentally prepare so all the fans who loved him it just hit him like a car crash or or that helicopter crash that kobe went through so it does really amplify the the shocked feeling you have and uh i didn't know much about him he seemed like one of those celebrities he wasn't in the tabloids his love life wasn't overly publicized and then all you know about him afterwards is all these beautiful videos and speeches like i watched a commencement speech he did for a college and you know, like even if he had still been with us and I watched some of the speeches and things he said, I probably would have shed a tear. But it's it's so exacerbated once once, you know, he's gone and this seemingly wonderful, beautiful person is no longer with us. And knowing the impact he made with the movie Black Panther, like just the fact that that movie existed meant so much to so many. And I was watching I went down a rabbit hole. He did this video um for a, a, a kid who was dying of cancer, a black kid, and whew, yeah, so crazy. Like, and I didn't care about Chadwick at all before. I didn't know anything at all before. I never even thought about it. And these things, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it is a, uh, it, it feels different, like Max said. You know, it's, it's not, it just, this one feels different. He seemed different and you know none of us we don't know him but it's like you can get a good read on people when you see them you know in those moments like shane said you know even the sort of person that would record a video for a dying child and sort of the way that he sort of like used his celebrity and his impact and, and the the sort of way he inspired uh, uh people was uh was just it just all felt different and it's all like shane said exasperated now that he's gone so those clips are crazy i mean did you guys one one sort of light amongst all of the videos i was watching though is um a lot of people have been posting black jeopardy with uh him as his character from black panther have you guys seen that <laughs> that's been making yeah. the round i watched that uh when he was on yeah i can't remember all the details of it was there some funny parts that what was out? it what was the bit well was the, the, the gag is like so so black jeopardy is it's like you know using like sort of like slang or like a certain outlook of like you know the, the american black experience and so you answer questions in like a way that is very abrasive but the gag is that uh uh the character from black panther i think uh, t'challa i can't remember his name but he he uh 
he's from he's from Wakanda, so he he doesn't really know any of the customs, right? So like he's kind of a bit lost amongst the game because he doesn't really know the slang, he doesn't really understand. And then you know they go through it a bunch of times, and then at the very end, he's picked up sort of the uh, uh, the slang. So it's like when when Karen wants to bring her potato salad to the cookout. Uh, what do you say, you know? And then he's like, oh, I think I understand it now. And then he sort of like clarifies. Anyway, it's like very, <laughs> yeah. very, very funny. And it's just like him with his Wakanda accent. Like everything about it is just like really, really funny. And it was like amongst a bunch of clips that make you sad, that SNL uh, performance made you made you smile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, one, one thought um, that I just had, Shane, because you mm-hmm. said like the thing about cancer, it allows people to sort of process the death. And then when it finally happens... It's not as shocking. Um, I, I was thinking, though, sort of the inverse of that, which is just like sparing everybody the pain of going through your cancer treatment mm-hmm. together was was a gift in its own way. And, and, it, and he probably did it for himself as well because he just didn't want to make it like the topic of every conversation he's having and make yeah. it the focus of every press thing that he has. And just uh, Again, there's no right or wrong way, but I thought, I thought that was sort of an interesting choice well Um, i think he was like a true artist too who didn't want it to influence the work like i think he really Mm -hmm. did love acting and he didn't want you to not be immersed into whatever movie he was doing or be a distraction like i had actually just seen um he did a spike lee movie called the five bloods and it was kind of a really weird but also awesome movie and had i known he was cancer i think had cancer at that time i think that's all i would be thinking about the whole time thinking about yeah which, which kind of, I guess, I guess maybe what I'm getting at is that uh, he, he, there couldn't be a more noble guy. It seems like in, in the mm-hmm. way he just like thought about his his role in public life and in the culture and his respect for the art. You know, the respect yeah. for what he did for a living to be to be like, no, this is not about me and any personal thing I'm going for. This is about the roles I'm playing, whether that's Jackie Robinson. Uh, or any of the characters, James Brown, uh, Marshall, you know, he, he really also had an amazing knack for, for choosing like, or landing at least incredibly deep, interesting roles as, as it, as it pertains to, uh, black history too. Mm-hmm. Think about what that says about his sort of natural presence and like dignity mm-hmm. and power that he just, he embodies. So he can play like, you know, the King of Wakanda, he can play Jackie Robinson, you know, he can play James Brown, these sort of like iconic people. Uh, he just he clearly he has something about him that you just sort of like, yeah, by that, you know, and, and that's probably something that's that's internal. You know, you can't you can't really teach that. I don't I don't think you just kind of got to have it inherently. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Rest in uh, rest in peace. Chadwick Boseman. Uh, it's a sad one for sure. OK, one more thing I wanted to discuss with you guys. It kind of relates uh, to, to the cinema and movies. I just saw a tenant. Um, twice actually in four days. I saw it in the theater uh, with uh, Ash and my friend Matt, and then I went to the drive-ins last night with Lauren, and I I really liked it. It's very confusing. It's obviously Christopher Nolan's new movie, and I just wanted to know: Are you guys going to go see this movie? Because it's the only new movie that's come out in 2020, really, that is of any interest to me. Um, and uh, yeah, are, are you going to are you going to go? There's I heard a, uh... it's too confusing. Yeah, well, that's up to you to to know and decide. Well, I'd I like guess, to see it, but I guess I guess the question isn't necessarily about the, the the content of the film or the film itself. It's whether you'll go to a theater to see the film. Is mm-hmm. what, he, what Max yeah. is asking. So, oh, well, there's a drive-in option. So that's true. Uh, I, that's true. I'm not scared to go to a drive-in. What was the in theater experience like? 
the in-theater experience, well, I saw it at IMAX at Scotiabank uh, in downtown Toronto. Uh, it was about a quarter full, but it was actually sold out because that's all the, the seats that they're selling. Um, it was uh, a little discerning in that I'd look around and I'd say 80% of the people did not have their masks on, uh, even even when they weren't like munching on their popcorn or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're concerned about that, just a heads up. Uh, I wore my mask the whole time. Uh, I did shovel some popcorn into my mouth from time to time, but I, the mask would, would come right back <laughs> do on. Do you take the mask and off when you're shoveling or do you shove it under the, your chin and slowly put it into your mouth? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just take it off. Oh. Uh, yeah. Um, but the only issue I'd say, and then the drive-in last night is obviously a lot more germ-free because you're in your own surroundings. The, the only issue is that the movie, I'm not giving anything away here, it, it has a very harsh mix uh, when it comes to the sound, it's it's like very aggressive, and like the clear, you mean f- harsh mix that it's not as intentionally the sound isn't crystal clear. Yeah, intentionally, like the voices are often like kind of sitting underneath the music, and the soundtrack is like pulsing and very aggressive. So when it's coming through an FM radio dial in ah. your car, and depends, it depends if you have a new car. Maybe uh, I'm driving my parents' 2010 Subaru, so like it's the sound system's a little bit shot, but. Either way, it's, I think it's going to make it that much harder uh, to hear what's going on or to appreciate the sound mix. Cause I think as aggressive and as harsh as the sound mix is, it's actually kind of impressive and interesting because most movies aren't as, uh, aren't mixed like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, th- I thought it was okay watching it the second time because I had already seen it before, but I didn't notice a difference between the movie quality in a theater versus at the drive-in. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. We have a, uh, a little side chat of guys in Hamilton, and uh, the question was actually just thrown into that. I know you're in that 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 text group, Maxi. Basically, the guy's saying, "Hey, who wants to do Tenant?" Uh, and yeah, I've got to decide whether I'm going to go go sit in the theater, you know, or not. But uh, I don't know what, the answer to that yet. What are you leaning towards? I think I'm leaning towards going. I, 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 I I'm 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 very much these days thinking about how. How to her, herd immunity? Herd immunity. That's what you're gonna <laughs> yeah, say. Right? It's not going there. Look a couple walls. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I, I, like I, I'm like as the world opens up, and I'm certainly not a proponent of like, well, the government says we're in this phase, so we can do it. You know, like I, I'm sort mm-hmm. of like I, as I loosen up, sort of like uh, the way that we go about our lives and get back to two things. You know, is like offices are opening up and all that stuff, and I, I'm sort of like, is this another step for me to go into mm-hmm. a theater? You know what I mean? Am I yeah. am I at that step? And I, I think I'm leaning like, yes, like, mm. you know, at this point, like Winona's back in daycare as well. So like, you're just, you're sort of opening yourself up to be part of the, the wheel yeah. that is turning. You know what I mean? I think the, the sitting, so you and think I know Max, if you, if you're going to get wet, you might as well go swimming, I, but see, but not that crazy. Like, I'm not ready to go into it like a house party. You know what I'm saying? Or like right. something like that. Like I still yeah. don't go into people's houses and stuff, but it's like going to sit in a theater. I don't know. I don't know. I, again, I haven't fully thought about it. The, the text just came through this morning. What worries me is I've become friendly with a, a few Australians and they have. Uh, well, <laughs> just stop there. <laughs> you're just going to bury that? Just let that it, go it's away? It's actually worrying my wife a lot more. I got my headphones than, on it. Yeah. No, um, these Australians are from the po- former podcast guests. For whatever reason, we seem to have a lot of podcast guests who are Australian. It's a nightmare to book these guests because you got to do it at 8 p.m. and it's 10 a.m. another day when you're talking to them. Point is, they were at this point a couple months ago where all their kids were going back to school, they were completely uh, lifted the lockdown. And now they're just in this terrible state where they, they have a, a curfew of 6 p.m. 
And it all started with everyone going back to school. So my theory is, and you know, I hate to fear monger, but my worry is what happened in Australia could very much happen here when all the kids go back to school. That's when this thing's really going to amplify. So any risk that's not 100% necessary, I consider it unnecessary. And that's just my thoughts on it. Yeah, totally. Uh, That's a very fair opinion. And people do warn about the second wave. So it's not just Australians. No, it's not just Australians, but if we're using uh, Australia as a metric of a sample size of like Mm. similar size country uh, that went through what we're going through now, but three months ago and to where they are now, we can see the horrible consequence of when all the kids went back to school and how quickly it escalates. Yeah. I mean, Mm. that's going to be the big question. That's, you know, we discussed that New York Times piece. Um, It's like... Yeah, it's like our our parents going to hold their kids out of school. Like, I, like what are the steps? Like, what are like you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that I think most are going to send them back to school, and then unfortunately, I think a lot of the kids are going to be conduits because a lot of children are going to be asymptomatic and pass it along to their parents, and that's really how this thing's going to kind of propagate again. So, what's the avoid like tactic then? Well, just not to take to to mitigate, right? Because I don't think there is an avoid tactic. You just have to uh, do your best and not go out of your way to do anything you think would be unsafe. Like you're you're not going to avoid your daughter. Your daughter is going to be in contact with a lot of things that you just can't help. So and you're going to hug and kiss your daughter. But maybe going to a movie theater might be something I would categorize as unnecessary. That's just the way I feel. I'm not saying no, I'm, no, I'm yeah, right, that's interesting. And I could very well be wrong. And I'm just basing it off what people have told me. Yeah, no, I think mm-hmm. it's uh, I think that second wave you're talking about is very, very likely. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's just the thing is people try to strategize. It's like there's no good answers. You know, it's like all these kids are going back to schools or else the parents can't work. You know, it's kind of an 100 percent. So. Yeah. So it's going to be it's going to be very, very interesting to see. But yeah, we might not avoid avoid that wave. But then I guess that's a good question. Then it's like, yeah, maybe little things like the movie theater. Aren't necessary. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't well, know. Uh, you could just chalk it up to like a, a mental health day. 100%. Um, by, by going to the movies. I, and I wonder how far you can push that mental health. Like, Danica, <laughs> I needed to go to this house party and drink 19 beers. It was a mental health day. I just, if, you know, I, I was recommended by, you know, medical professionals. That mental but it's health true. Some people do really need that. You got to weigh the, the balances in your own mind and decide what's best for you. It's just for me, yeah. I'm not dying to go do some things but some people might be and i don't cast shame or judgment on them even though i jokingly say in the next episode that i'm judging you guys for getting haircuts i'm really not and i understand all of it my wife cut no, my well, hair I've... yeah i mm. know that's that's why i feel bad i'm looking at mike's haircut and i'm realizing i, sh- I shouldn't have told them <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>